0: This episode of African Tech Conversations is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. If that sounds good to you, click through to gofreshbooks.com forward slash tech conversations to activate their 30-day free trial. That's gofreshbooks.com forward slash tech conversations. By his own admission, Matthew Lee would not have been voted most likely to become an executive at a leading software multinational by his classmates at the trade school where he trained to be a plumber. Years after he left plumbing to try his hand at networking, Matthew worked his way up the corporate ladder at Comstech and Novell. He now oversees African operations at the German open-source software firm SUSE.
1: This African Tech Conversations.
0: Think back to the very first movie you
1: ever watched. Actually, I watched a trailer of it just the other night again. We had to YouTube it. It was the one that made the most impact in my life was American Werewolf in London. I'm sure it wasn't the first movie, but it was the one that made the most impact in my life.
0: Wow. Okay, so set the scene. Where are you? Who are you with? Where did you see this film?
1: I was in the single digits, probably eight or nine or ten, and my brother had a couple of his mates around, and we lived in a double-story house, and uh, they were all watching this movie, obviously illegally as well. from My folks would never have allowed that. And uh, I snuck upstairs and snuck to the top of the stairs and was watching that movie from the top, and it was uh, a hell of an experience, yeah.
0: So tell me about the house. Where's this house? What's the neighborhood like? Uh, tell me a bit about your brothers and the parents who would have had a, a, a heart attack if they knew what you were watching.
1: So we are a, a family of uh, of four kids, uh, two brothers, two sisters. Um and I am the youngest and the house where we grew up is in Parkhurst in uh, in sort of the northern northern central Joburg and um yeah, so my folks came to South Africa in the 70s mid 70s uh from uh, from the far east. Although it's not, <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> although it's not Lee in that way, in that regard. But yeah, uh, the Dutch, uh, the Dutch East Indies, Far East Indies was a Dutch colony, so they came over from from there to South Africa, and uh, yeah, started off the rest of the family. That's actually quite interesting because I thought you were joking
0: about the Far East situation, but you're not.
1: No, not at all. <laughs>
0: okay, so um
1: where do you where do you
0: place in these four kids? The youngest. So You're the youngest, so you're the last you're the last person who should be watching this movie <laughs> probably so tell me why it made such an impact on you, aside from the fact that it probably gave you nightmares for like weeks and weeks
1: exactly just the the genre of it you know i'm sure I'd watched many movies before then, but this was the first movie that had really like worried me <laughs> It stood out so growing up
0: in suburban uh northern joburg uh actually not very far from where I currently live uh what what's life like for this youngster in single digits
1: awesome we we our house back ended into the back of a park um we were right there so that was our playground um as you know parkers didn't really have such big yards although we had a, an extended extended yard and it backed into the delta park so we were in the rivers swinging from trees cops and robbers cowboys and indians riding our bicycles um all over the place so yeah you know, we had a, we had a good upbringing it was lovely so
0: fast forward now to present day, and we're going to go back to your past uh, again, uh, little in a little bit. But fast forward to now, uh, I want you to re- recount uh, uh, a professional experience that you you've you've lived through that might have felt
1: like a movie,
0: or might make for a great movie if it were made into a movie. Uh,
1: so what most people don't know about me is I am actually a. I started off my career as a plumber. I went to trade school, yeah, I went to trade school, I uh, I qualified as a as a, I did my apprenticeship as a plumber, and um, yeah, that would probably be the movie, because I'm so far removed from that line, line of uh, business right now, so yeah, that would probably be the movie playing out.
0: From plumber to programmer?
1: Well, not a programmer, but uh, plumber to software, exactly, yeah.
0: That's incredible though, so, okay, so now you've got a lot of explaining to do. How does that happen, and uh you know we probably live in one of the few countries in the world where those sort of <laughs> transitions can happen both from uh you know from a professional leap point of view from a class leap point of view even i think so how does that happen how does someone who started out uh trying to you know earn a trade and what's now actually a very good trade around these days you know actually you could make a lot of money these days being a plumber but how do you go from being a plumber to a program.
1: It was an evolution of of uh, of jobs. Um this this happened to me in my early 20s when I obviously started off in this business. I then created a little plumbing and and services business and serviced um some of the um uh, real estate companies and their flats and townhouses and houses and in in terms of getting them up to spec after they had renters that had left and got involved uh, with new renters they needed to 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 build it up and and that was going along quite well um i had one or two injuries with an electronic db board which uh, made me think i should not be doing this any longer because i'm not a qualified electrician and um at that point in time my brother in law's business was also in uh, in uh, starting off in the unix space uh and i thought from plumbing water networks to to it networks i thought that would be quite interesting yeah so I, I just took a complete leap, and I was young enough to to do that um, at that point in time, with with minimal uh, impact to my career and uh, my lifestyle. And yeah, and I just went down that route and started off in networks, and then uh, this is yeah, the, the rest is just that's the leap, that's the jump. And so,
0: what did your parents do? Just out of interest,
1: uh, my mom was a housewife, and my dad was the operations he did operations and manufacturing at Philips, hence the Dutch uh, the Dutch background.
0: How much of you becoming a plumber was you not trying to be what your dad was or go in the direction he'd gone?
1: Kid of the 80s, yeah, probably all of it,
0: (laughs) yeah. Okay, so tell me about, uh, tell me who, uh, say at that that trade school you were at, right? Tell me who at that trade school would be most surprised about how you've turned out.
1: (laughs) My maths teacher and building science teacher they would definitely not have thought i would have uh, moved into the software space or it space why uh, i had i had a a, a good lineup in uh, after i was leaving i had quite a good lineup in terms of who i was going to do my apprenticeship with obviously i would shared that with them as individuals um with one of the uh, real bespoke first time uh bespoke kind of plumbing companies in those days um i don't think they're around nowadays but uh definitely I think they would have not thought I would have amounted to that.
0: And so you probably are aware of some of the stereotypes around being a fan of open source software, right? Absolutely. So what would you say some of those stereotypes are and and name some of the ones that might be true? Uh,
1: Open source software stereotype uh, maybe uh, would have been something along the lines of a guy uh, with long hair, you know, uh, pizza under the door developer, um socks and slops uh short hair uh, short shorts and you know long jerseys that kind of thing you know that probably would have been the stereotype of a linux engineer uh, 10 years ago and it was true do you think yeah absolutely i I still encounter a couple of them when i'm uh, in discussions so when did the
0: when did this scene clean up then because uh we're sitting in your offices and they look nothing like the scene you've just described lots of carpets lots of uh, uh, uh very well dressed people um relaxed perhaps but certainly well dressed um halls with marble and <laughs> okay so you get the picture it's it's pretty corporate pretty organized well set up when, when did this become a thing for open source software
1: that would probably be in the advent when open source software uh, moved from being a, a small-time player in an enterprise, maybe covering a firewall or, or something small on the side, um, to actually now becoming the uh, pinnacle of where mission-critical and business-critical computing needs to reside. Um, it has to reside on a, a mass-developed uh, platform, uh, which gives that customer functionality. So at that point in time, uh that's when i think that's when it would have probably happened when 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 it linux started moving from the edge of the network right through to the pinnacle of the data center and so i've pretty
0: much lost track of all the acquisitions in this space so and so buys this so so let's talk about Sousa, the you know the company uh you obviously head up operations <laughs> for here on the continent uh german based multinational uh owned by a a, a london based business i believe uh, with links to other businesses all over the world talk me through when that sort of organization started to form around around software open source <laughs> software and what the implications have been to it's becoming a main uh, you know to it going mainstream
1: so let's just take a step further back and go back to when suse actually incepted into in 1991 okay that's when suse started um we then uh continue to provide uh, software and system development uh, to the market, really around the German Central Europe space. Uh, in 2004, I think it was, mid-2000s, um, Novell bought SUSE to provide a Linux kernel for Novell, okay, for NetWay. Um, it was a, it was a, a symbiosis a relationship in terms of SUSE providing a kernel, but at the same time, open source outside of Novell was growing. Um, and we've seen that in the likes of other open source companies uh, uh, take take a, a big role as well uh, in this space in the enterprise open source space. Um, and then in two thousand and eleven, Attachmate bought Novell. And at that point, they separated the open source uh, business from the proprietary open uh, proprietary uh, software business. And it was at that point that Susa, uh, that Susa really saw growth. Um, it was we were given back to the community. We moved our headquarters back to Nuremberg in Germany uh, from the States. So um, it was at that point that Suza kind of had its Phoenix rebirth uh, in 2011. Um, that's when Attachmate purchased uh, uh, Novell. Then in 2014, Microfocus purchased Attachmate. Because it was showing such promising technologies and showing such promising growth um, people should see that as, as a positive. Uh, SUSE certainly sees it as a positive. We are now part of the Micro Focus stable, Microfocus Focus Inc., uh, which is the London-based company that you refer to. Um, but for all intents and purposes, we run our own our own independent organization autonomously with inside of the organization of, the great organization of Micro Focus.
0: At what point does this sort of corporatization start to alienate the community uh, that has made open source software such a thing?
1: It actually doesn't because we don't we don't have a one-sided relationship with the community. SUSE actually takes leadership positions on a lot of the foundations in the community where we feed back upstream as well. So not only do we take downstream and push out enterprise-grade software to customers, but we also feed back enterprise-grade requests into the community for further development.
0: So let's talk about the growth of open source on the continent specifically. Have we kept up with uh, all the great things that are happening elsewhere in the world?
1: Absolutely. Um, We actually, I think, are growing uh, in a higher percentages than the rest of the world, but that's obviously because we're coming from a lower base. Um, But absolutely, we are growing uh, within market, actually more than market rate.
0: And so what sort of applications are you finding most popular on the continent in this space?
1: Uh, Retail applications, manufacturing applications, finance applications, core banking applications. uh, If you can sum it up, it's most mission-critical and business-critical applications.
0: Thinking back 10 years, um, it was Windows, 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 and maybe a little bit of (laughs) open source in some corner, dark corner (laughs) somewhere. Is the Windows factor still the greatest threat to widespread adoption of open source software?
1: I I wouldn't say yes, and I wouldn't say no. Um Windows is actually Microsoft actually is a very large contributor to the open source community, right? So um I don't know if many of your listeners knew that. But actually at the same time as Microsoft is developing uh and, and contributing code into the into the open source community, Microsoft and SUSE also have a interoperability arrangement together. No one client is going to run just Windows or just a Linux environment. There's going to be Windows and Linux. And even in some cases, there might even be still some legacy Unix applications in the, in, the, in the data center there. So there needs to be the case where there needs to be this interoperability uh, between the, the, the various vendors. And um, yeah, I think with the, with the Azure platform launching with Microsoft, uh, more and more of those workloads are becoming Linux workloads in Azure, actually. So, um, yeah, we, we don't see it as a competition. We see it as a co coopetition.
0: And so what do you make of the diehards in this debate who either very, very strongly uh, for proprietary software and what they consider to be the unparalleled uh, uh, standard of delivery that that can be expected in that space relative to open source? And then, of course, people who who feel totally different and just feel uh, sometimes to extremes that everything should be free. This whole corporatization thing is wrong and counterproductive to getting uh, to, to progress on the planet so, what do you, what do you make of those kind of of that debate?
1: So, if I look at our skills program, um, a lot of the skills that are coming into the Linux space and open source space are actually previous uh, MCSes, Microsoft Certified Engineers, uh, uh, Unix engineers that are coming across and adopting the new Linux skills base. Um, there's a very interesting report that your readers can go and look at. It's the the Linux Job Report. Uh, you can Google that and go and get that from the Linux Foundation. It actually talks about how um, uh, engineers or p- folks that are applying for position with inside of the open source space, if they've got open source Linux on their pla- on their CV, actually positions them in a higher percentage to get that job. So, so that 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 combats those kind of proprietary engineers. The 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 diehard uh, open source, 100% open source, free and open source software guys, they're still going to be there, absolutely. Um, and that's our community. You know, we can't. That's the glory of open source. We cannot thrive without each other.
0: It should be a movie about them. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> okay, so let's talk strategy in terms of the discussions you have in your boardroom here at Sousa. What, are, what would you say are the top three things that come up specifically around growth on the continent?
1: Core Linux is still a major part of our business. So that's definitely part of our strategy. Um, in Engaging partners and ecosystems, that is another part of our strategy. To grow that partner ecosystem. Whether it be solution providers or system integrators or, or even appliance or application developers, those are definitely uh, a key to our strategy going forward because we cannot deliver our product if it's not for these chaps' uh, involvement as well. Um, another part of business that SUSE just moving into is the software defined storage space. That's a very exciting space for us. It's, it's not been a, a Linux operating system space but it's it really is a a new driver um adding to that as well a strategy for SUSE is obviously to grow its management component and its cloud platform Uh, we've got a wonderful cloud platform based on OpenStack, um and yeah i think that is taking over uh, more and more private cloud environments in the local enterprises
0: we're taking a quick break to remind you of freshbooks pretty awesome offer to you a listener of the african tech conversations podcast they're offering a 30-day free trial to give you the opportunity to try out their service. Now, if you'd like to get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster, click through to gofreshbooks.com forward slash conversations and put their software to the test. Our attitudes towards cloud changing because, for good reason, uh, there's a lot to fear in terms of data security, integrity, and that kind of thing around these technologies that are now allowing us to be to enjoy really things that we only imagined would be possible in a sci-fi future. So
1: are attitudes changing? Certainly. And I think that depends on which kind of uh, platform the customer looking at. I think public cloud um, is is getting mass adoption, but it all depends on the application going into that cloud. Uh, private cloud is also enjoying mass uh, adoption uh, because that's an internal, that's self-managed, that's managed by the IT department. So they have that kind of sense of control. Um, so definitely I think cloud is, is is something we've been talking about for a number of years uh, not only us many other vendors as well but um, it's something that cannot be ignored
0: do you have thoughts on how this new space ought to be regulated uh, no no <laughs> Am I asking the wrong person? Hey, the, I can see the OSS crowd going, what? the He's got thoughts on
1: what? <laughs> open source is, is the foundation of any real major cloud provider anyway, public cloud provider anyway. If you look at the, the, the likes of people that are providing cloud solutions like Google and Facebook and, and Amazon and so on and so forth, they're all based on open source technologies. And so, to, uh, speak to
0: someone who's listening to the show right now who ha- who aspires to a great career within, I mean, I think you alluded to it earlier, a, a career within, within tech. Maybe they've got, uh, you know, as a programmer, maybe they could just stars in their eyes in terms of what's possible. Um, if you could trace the, the, um, the perfect career path for a young geek who's like poised to graduate from varsity and just, hop into the world of 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 the real world what would you trace for them what would you what would you chart for them
1: um so i think there's a number of aspects um because technology is only one side of enablement one side of uh uh training to 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 get a job in the into the IT space there also needs to be a bunch of other softer skills as well and we align ourselves quite nicely um as Susa with some really key training providers in south africa and which actually cover the African region as well, where they don't only provide product support, uh, product training, but they also provide soft skills training. Because one thing is, it is it's one thing to learn about a platform, but you need to also understand how that platform ties in to other applications. And that's where the skill can sit. You might understand Linux really well, but you might not understand anything else besides Linux and how that application ties in. Or you have an enterprise um, open source database company. How does that tie into the platform? How does Hadoop Big Data tie into the platform? How do all these things tie in together? I think that's where the skill sets lie. So get a hold of those training providers and uh, engage with them and they can build a lovely route, to uh, what we call a path to mastery. Um, That's something that these training providers can help with.
0: That's probably very different to what's needed. To, I think in the past there was a focus to to being a specialist. Are you saying that perhaps the most sought-after techies of today
1: are generalists with a really good understanding of the whole picture? Um, I wouldn't want to just leave it at that, but I would say there's definitely the need for the specialist. There's always a need for the specialist. But um, with open source being so integral in so many other technologies, you know, if you want to have an open standards approach, in the market, if you want an enterprise customer to have an open standard approach, uh, which they are looking at, you need to understand what those other application houses, what those other software vendors are doing. So you need to you need to maybe be a specialist in your area, but at the same time, you don't need to. You must not ignore uh, what else is happening as well. You need a broad understanding.
0: So let's talk about the other transition in your life. So you go from from plumber to tech guy, and then somewhere along the line, you. You become a serious corporate player and a, a leader, an administrator of sorts, etc. How how does that happen?
1: I think that's just a, it's just a personal personal thing. It's a it's it's a hunger. I think I think open source accelerates that hunger because it's forever changing. It's forever e- evolving, and it's so exciting. Um, you know, looking back to a number of years ago when I was in the networking space, I was quite happy to do my job in its current role for the next. Uh, uh, uh five years or six years or something with open source you forever changing every year uh, uh, and new things are coming aboard. it's keeping it alive so that's definitely allows you to to personally grow uh, and to because you're learning all the time so as you're personally growing and you're learning you're able to provide another level of conversation to people
0: I can think of many techies I wouldn't trust with with <laughs> with a business I, I do feel like it's a different skill set though and I'm wondering where you would have acquired the knack for leading people for uh for contributing towards strategy for essentially growing a business
1: university hey, eh? university is a big thing i studied later on um as i did because I, my initial study path was obviously the the technical route you know the trade route um i then uh, went back to university to business school in uh, in 2005 Two thousand six, two thousand five, two thousand six—somewhere there—and continued my studies there. But just to clarify something, I didn't start as a raw, raw, raw techie. I started off in the uh, uh, as as a um, a, a network uh, a network cabler, which is not really you're not really working on servers and so on and so forth. Although that was a Unix space. It was a network cabler. It was working with Unix systems like Xenix and, and SCO Unix in the days. But um, yeah, so it's 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 just it's just education. It's education where you want to be in life.
0: Pretty much a hardware guy starting out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Started off as a hardware guy, and now in the software space. It's very interesting.
0: Share an aspect of what you do day to day in your current role that might surprise techies all over the world who think being the head guy, head techie at at Souza, uh, looks a certain way or is a certain way.
1: No, no, I'm not a head techie. Uh,
0: being in charge of the business at at Sousa for Africa is a certain way.
1: Um, every day, I evangelize open source. Every day is is an exciting day for me. I wake up in the morning. I love coming to the office. I love coming to work. Uh, I work at, in the evenings at night as well. I'm in touch with our American guys who are overseas as well. So they're in a different time zone. So for me, working is, uh, in the open source space is almost like a lifestyle. Um, whereas if you get a normal guy in a normal environment, he kind of does his 8 to 5 job. You know, he's he comes in, he fights traffic. He doesn't enjoy his job, he might be doing something exciting, it might pay him well, and then he goes home at five o'clock. With with open source and with Sousa, it's just it's just an it's just a culture. It's just a culture. Whoever we touch, whoever we talk to, whoever we engage with, it's almost like a it's like a pleasant poison, you know. It, it really it's just such a lovely conversation. People love to hear what you're talking about. People love to hear what what the open source arena is is doing, you know. So for us it's just that's what we do every day. We just evangelize open source and we evangelize SUSE.
0: And do you have children
1: i do I have two children.
0: do they understand what you do for a living how How do you explain it to them?
1: My son does because he's uh he's a tinkler he's typically quite a tinkler in hardware and software um and he's he's quite his path he's looking at doing is around the digital design space so he understands what i do um my daughter she probably has no idea. <laughs> how old are they by the way? My son is twenty two and my daughter's twenty. Okay, so if you could speak
0: to yourself at the age they're currently at, if you could speak to your younger self at 20 and, you said? 20. 22. 22 and? 20. So at 22 and 20, if you could speak to yourself at, well, it's pretty much the same age, I think. If you could speak to yourself at that age, what would you say to yourself?
1: Work hard, enjoy life, um, have a goal, have a, have a short-term goal. And uh, have a long-term goal, but have a long-term goal that's based out of short-term goals. Definitely have a short-term goal because if you don't have something that you can show yourself achieving and and reporting your metrics, you're going to lose focus. But uh, work hard, play hard, enjoy life, and and make sure that you get a good education.
0: So am I to assume that at that age you were living day-to-day, hour-to-hour?
1: Already that day, yeah, probably
0: so not so strategic in thinking about hey what might the next 10 20 years look like
1: no probably not No, I was not a, a good uh, example of my own advice um but certainly it's the advice I'd be giving out to youngsters now
0: so what what may so how how is it that you didn't it didn't uh, end up in a train smash or an absolute an absolute mess Were the people in your life as you grew uh, maybe mentors, people you looked up to who kind of made sure that where you sort of didn't have a sense of vision or strategy around your life and career, they, you know, you ended up on a on a decent path.
1: Absolutely. It's probably by the grace of God that I'm not in a train smash. <laughs> okay. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you need mentors in life. You need people to look up to. Um, it's key for you in any, any environment that you are uh, working in, whether you're in an office, whether you're in a trade, whether you are in a uh whatever you're doing you need mentors in life to guide you because if you're not looking forward you you, you're lost you know if you're not looking upward you're lost
0: so can any of them stand out do any of them stand out for you
1: certainly absolutely two of them actually must i mention them please okay uh early on in my career when i made the move into uh full-blown sales gentleman by the name of george smallburger he was my first boss Uh, He probably doesn't know it, but he made quite an impact in my life. And then uh, just before I joined here in 2007, my previous boss for the last seven, eight years before that, a gentleman by the name of Paul Conradi, uh, we worked together at Comstech. Big mentor in my life.
0: So I'm going to go back to plumbing. Uh, Is there an analogy you can draw from the world of plumbing that is applicable to your current role in terms of your mindset as a leader?
1: Okay, I'm going to take a stab at this. Um... Plumbing deals with water, right? So water is one of the the, 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 the forces of nature. If you don't control where it goes, um, it's going to be a mess. So you've got, to, you've got to plug off your ends, you've got to tighten them, you've got to make sure your taps are closed, you've got to make sure your geysers are working, you've got to make sure your pipes are clean and so on and so forth and all that. That's an analogy I could take. I don't know if, it's, if, it, if it makes anything, it makes any sense. If you don't, if you don't do those kind of uh, checks and balances... You, the water's just going to spew everywhere. So it's just going to be an, an absolute mess.
0: That's pretty incredible. On, on the dime to, 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 to bring that up, because I'm thinking now in terms of how destructive water can potentially be, but also how constructive and also uh, nurturing and all those kind of things, and all up to the way you channel it. Exactly, how you manage it. I think we should write a book together.
1: <laughs> cool. I'll take some credits for that.
0: <laughs> cool. I'll take all the royalties.
1: <laughs> you can do that.
0: Okay. You'll open source it.
1: Yeah, we'll open source it. Exactly so.
0: <laughs> okay, so downhill from here, really. Um, uh, you strike me as a breakfast person. Are you a breakfast person?
1: I start every day with breakfast.
0: You see, I I I figured you for a breakfast person. I'm the same. I cannot leave. I don't care how early I have to leave, and I often have very early call uh, call times. But I have to ha- leave home without breakfast. What's your typical breakfast?
1: Uh, fruits, yogurts, uh, breads. Um, yeah, yeah. Kind of. That's a summer one. In uh, in winter, uh, yeah, more hot foods, and bacon,s and eggs, and you know, oats and that. So the typical stuff that we all grew up on here.
0: It's interesting because I'm also quite a yogurt and fruit and uh, a muesli kind of guy. Uh, tell me, um, what do you like, when you absolutely have to pig out on something unhealthy? What do you go for?
1: Crisps. Crisps are my nemesis. If I open a packet of crisps, uh, that, that thing that has no chance of living. It's dead.
0: And, and and I'm keeping this food theme now. Uh <laughs> do you influence uh the what what's served on your on your dinner table at home?
1: Um yeah, my wife and I we typically live a, a fairly healthy lifestyle. So we both I think we're just in sync with what we do, you know, what we kind of expect to have. So yeah, I think we do.
0: So are you what when I say involved when you when you say involved, are you shopping once in a while? Are you putting stuff on a list at the fridge are you like get more of that are you aware of what's in the pantry to what extent are you involved
1: uh i think all of the above With the kids that are typically older now so um you're not having to plan so effectively what you're going to be eating so if you come home from work and somebody can grab something at the shop or something bring it home and cook it up that's great so yeah it's a teamwork
0: and what's the most fabulous thing you've ever created start to finish in terms of a meal or a a dish of course this is all being taped so you obviously can't fib because your family might just hear this
1: <laughs> all right so i'm caught then uh i would say the most spectacular sure once i did a, a new year's fish braai and that 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 yeah that consumed me the your fish takes Five minutes on the bride, but this thing consumed me from flipping the morning because I had to make sure that everything was right, and it was it was a mess in the preparation. but actually, in the end of the day, I think the creation came out well because it was there were a number of different fish ingredients, so we had like fish we had prawns, and everything had to be cooked differently, and it was it was yeah I think. Uh, I'm a pretty simple South African boyke, like us all. You know, we we enjoy our bries, so you know, braai, simple meals is good for us, pastas and that. But yeah, I think I think if something stands out. I actually don't know why that had to stand. You put me on the spot by asking that, so that had to stand out.
0: And of course, if you're not familiar with uh, uh, South African colloquialism, a brie would be a barbecue. And as far as barbecues go, a fish barbecue is pretty ambitious.
1: Yeah, it's it's yeah, especially if you don't live at the sea. Exactly. You can't waste.
0: You only have like one beautiful specimen to either, you know, create into this beautiful creation or just ruin.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You hundred percent right. Okay. Well, fantastic. That
0: that brings us to the end of our discussion. Only one question left. So, is there a question I haven't asked so far that you wish I had?
1: So, typically, if anybody knows me, I'm quite a sport fan. So that would have to be sport related, and uh, the English Premier League. Football would be one of them. So I'm a Spurs fan, and if somebody asks me, and typically all my fans, all my friends ask me, what happened to Tottenham Hotspurs in the last five games? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well,
0: I'm not sure when people will be listening to this, but we're obviously talking about the, the, the past season where we all didn't see the the champions coming. Clearly, we all didn't couldn't have predicted that. Even the bookies uh, had you know were totally off on that. Um, but yeah, Tottenham Hotspur, what happened, bruh?
1: Yeah, they were. We were leading up, and we were in second position, fighting with the with the number one position. They call themselves the Kings now, and uh, you know, so that was a position that we just seemed to give away. And, and the worst thing is we gave it away to Arsenal, on our 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 absolute enemies. Thank you very much. We'll take it. <laughs> cool. I'm with Arsenal. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Oh no!
0: Oh yes! Oh yes! Oh yes!
1: <laughs> oh well, it's all good. We'll we'll see each other on the UEFA battlefield.
0: It seems. It seems we will. So hey, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been fun.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to African Tech Conversation.